in the church in America, what we've done is we've basically turned the body of Christ into a paraplegic. Can't move his arms or his legs. But we got the head. We're just we, we're full of knowledge. We know we know what we're supposed to do, but we just don't do it. Focus of what we're talking about today is Philippians 3.16. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. I know sometimes when we talk about this doing, it really seems uh, a little bit confusing for some of us. And, and so I want to say, first of all, to those of you who are, who are new at this whole following Christ, I, I want you to know that you, you, you probably haven't encountered this yet. I mean, you're still at a place where you're still trying to take in more information about Christ and learning who He is and how to follow Him. But for many of those who are further down the road than you, they, they've taken in so much information. And, and it's just sitting there. It's just sitting in their heads. And so today as you listen, those of you who are, who are new at this whole following Christ, I, I, I don't want you to feel uh, guilty or anything because you're just starting out. But I do want you to make a little mental note and say, okay, this is a mistake that is common for, for Christ followers. And I need to be careful of this. Alright? So, but I know that sometimes this can be confusing when we talk about doing. And then we talk about grace, which is something that you do nothing for. You don't, you, it's, it's undeserved. You can't earn grace. And so sometimes we, we kind of scratch our heads and go, how does this all fit together? And we, we talk about these two things that seem polar opposites. You know, there's grace... And then there's effort. There's the gift of God. And then there's work. But the scripture says that we hold these two things together. And we don't let go of either. That we hang on to both. We see statements in the Bible like the one you see in James. Where he says, With, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Faith and actions have to work together. They have to work together or we're just fooling ourselves. We really are. We don't earn God's grace. It's an undeserved gift. But throughout the Bible, you'll see this, this biblical metaphor. And it's, it's a whole farming metaphor. You see at the very beginning with the Garden of Eden. You see at the very end when there's a, a, a new heaven and there's a garden there with the tree of life. And all in between, there's, you know, you got Jesus and he's talking about the parable of the farmers sowing seeds. He's talking about a vineyard. He's talking about... Uh, gardener who uh, plants a tree and puts manure around it. And, you know, you got all these farming biblical metaphors. And I, I think this one, it, this metaphor really helps us figure out how we hang on to both of these two things at the same time. Because see, with a farmer, a farmer understands that there is more work than he could ever do in, in a day's time. There's just there's just tons of work, and he can never accomplish it all. But one of the things that a farmer also understands is that there's so much that is beyond his control that he has nothing to do with. He can't make a seed sprout. He can't make the rain fall. He can't make the sun shine. But yet it's because of these things that he has no control of that he actually takes the risk this whole adventure of farming and even does what he does. He does it because he, he trusts that these good things will be given and th that the seeds will grow. If he does the work to throw the seed out, if he pulls the weeds, if he fertilizes, if he harvests it. 
And so, as Christ followers, as Christians, we have to hold together the gift and the work. We have to hold together the grace and the effort. And we can't pit these things against each other. And we can't emphasize one without the other. The wisdom of the farmer reminds us that both are required in full measure in order to grow anything worth harvesting. As a Christ follower, you need to know that in your life, in walking in the Spirit, there will always be plenty of work. But realize that any growth in your life is, first of all, the gift of God. It's the gift of God. He makes things grow. He makes you grow. So I think sometimes, because of the sensitivity of, of this balance between grace and effort, many times church attenders are overfed and underchallenged. Because pastors and preachers are scared uh, that, that to challenge a congregation is going to sound like uh, you're, you're preaching that it's all about what you do and all about works and that we're going to leave behind grace. And, and so you have a lot of these churches and, and a lot of times uh, all you talk about is grace and it seems like you just kind of sit around and just receive and there's no expressing of what you've received. So today I want to say that it's time that we take what we know and we do. Let me explain a little bit of the overfed part that's happening to the church in America. We live in an information age. I mean, we are bombarded. We have access unlike any other generation previous to us. We have 24-hour media. Indiana's uh, Ball State University did a, a study of Americans' uh, media use, and they, they tracked 15 different media devices, including TV, books, magazines, mobile phones, the internet, instant messaging, and email, they found that the average American sucks up about nine hours a day of these different funnels of media information. And what's even crazier is that most of us, 30% uh, of those nine hours of intake of information, we're, we're taking in more than one source at the same time. You know, you're sitting at your computers uh, scouring eBay, and then you're also watching TV, and you're seeing the commercial about the mobile phone that you can't do without. And it's telling you how you can make your life better. And so you're doing that. And then also you might be listening to music at the same time. I mean, you're doing, you're doing three times all at the same time. And so we just take in and we suck in so much. Now, the curious thing they found with this study is they found that 18 to 24-year-olds spend less time online than any other age group except for the over 65s. And uh, some people are like, wow, I thought that would have been the exact opposite. But uh, I can explain that for you. Um, it's because all the college students, uh, they're also still sucking in information. So they're sitting in classes all day, and they're being fed and being pumped with information for a degree in a field, in a, in a field that's going to be outdated by the time they graduate. <laughs> and, uh, you know, our rate of consumption of information leads us to live a life that is just a furious rate of speed. I mean, we're just moving. And because of that furious rate of speed, sometimes we live with superficiality. We just go surface deep with people. We talked about this some uh, when we first started the church and making room for life. But we, we do this because it, it takes time. It takes time to go beyond the surface and just get the headlines. Just get the, the AOL front page there and, and what's happening. You know, we have a voracious appetite for information. Even on our 24-hour news, not only do we have the guy speaking to us, the little talking head, but we have the information scrolling below that gives us more information and news. So we're, we're actually reading and we're listening to the guy on the same screen. We have a voracious appetite for information. 
we suck it in. And it's like we're just gorging ourselves at the tree of knowledge. And we, it just doesn't satisfy. And I want to let you know that you will never be satisfied with enough information. But it will, it will make you, put you in a precarious position. And I want to warn you about this whole information intake. That there's got to be something that changes for you if you continue to take in this much information. The church in America really seems to mimic our culture. And we, we have a pretty unquenchable thirst for biblical information, too. We have Sunday school classes. We have super conferences with lectures and workshops. We have websites, videos, how-to books, downloadable uh, newsletters, and uh, cute stories, endless emails that get sent to us. And, and we have blogs and e-newsletters. E and the list goes on and on with the information that we get bombarded with, with it, and it's biblical information. But with the flood of biblical information that we're inundated with, we may wonder how in the world did those early Christians ever live the Christian life? They didn't have any of this. How did they do it? Well, when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, I, I think sometimes it, it seems like here in America we just kind of exclude two of those things and we just concentrate on Jesus is the truth. And that's all we think about, Jesus is the truth. And we just think of him as a bunch of information that we're going to suck up. But he also said, I am the way and I am the life. There's something about that that we need to figure out. We need to figure out. When Jesus spoke the words, come follow me, Matthew 4, 19, Luke 9, 23, John 12, 26, he wasn't talking about joining him for a lecture course or for a seminar. He didn't even provide a training manual for his disciples. And the one thing to notice is that when Jesus said, come follow me, he wasn't asking a question. It wasn't, would you, would you please come follow me? No, it was a command. It was a command. He was commanding those who believed in him to actually follow him, to do as he did, to go where he went, and to live as he lived. Christians are more than people with just an interesting set of beliefs floating around in their heads. A part of being a Christ follower is that you trust Jesus, and a part of that trust is that you're willing to follow him wherever he leads you. That's part of it. There's so much for us to do as Christ followers, but here is our problem. And sometimes people articulate it this way. They say, impression, intake, without expression, the output, leads to depression. Impression without expression leads to depression. Some of you who are kind of more the artist, creative types, you understand this. If you don't have a way to express yourself or don't have that outlet, you get frustrated. Some of us, in the same way as, as our artist friends experience this, we have the same, same problem. And what ends up, is, and especially in the church, with all this great amount of biblical information that we're bombarded with in our brains, but we don't have, we don't have the same opportunity to express what our brains have taken in. Because... We know more than we can actually do. We end up frustrated and depressed as Christ followers. You know, here's another way to look at it. You can take in. You can take in all this good stuff that God has to offer. His grace, His joy, His love, His peace. And you keep soaking that up. But if you don't let it out, 
you're going to get spiritually constipated. That's what's going to happen. You got to be able to, if you take in all this good stuff God has for you, you got to be able to let it out some way. Or else you're just going to end up like a sponge that is just soaked up with so much water, he can't soak up anymore. You've got to get squeezed out. You've got to get squeezed out. Some of us just need to squeeze out some expression of our faith, some sort of action. When the Apostle Paul wrote the uh, people of Philippi, he told them, only let us live up to what we've already attained. You know what? If I never learned another bit of biblical information, if I never heard another lesson, I never read another book, I would still have a whole lifetime to try to express all the things I already know in my Christian faith. I could still spend the rest of my life trying to do what I already know. And I've seen this before in other countries with people that do not even have the Bible in their own written language. They've heard the gospel. They've heard it. And they know, I'm, I'm, I'm following Jesus. I want to please Him. And they're following Him. And, and they're, they're doing it. They're doing what Jesus desires of them. And they don't even have this. How do they do that? It's pretty simple. Pretty simple. When you look at the parable of the sheep and the goats, it's interesting that all the actions that the sheep carried out, you know, the feeding of the hungry, clothing of the naked, so on, it could all be summed up as acts of love. Jesus said that when these people served someone in love like this, they were in fact serving Him. You know, most of the thing that, things that the Lord desires of us can be summed up in simply loving God and loving people. Really. Those are the two things that Jesus said were the greatest things we can do in Mark 12, 30 and 31. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And he said the second thing was to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, what would have kept the people that were classified as goats? What would have kept them from loving God and loving people? I mean, it's pretty simple. That's, that's, that's all you need to do. I mean, there's different things that fall underneath the category of loving God and loving people, but it's, there's a broad variety of things to do. It's not like, oh, I don't know how to do that. Well, there's other things that you can do. There's express love to God, express love to people around you. What would, what would keep these people who are classified as goats from, from loving the people around them? Maybe, maybe it was just some excuses. Maybe it was, I'll do it later. Like the son in the story that Sue told us about. Or maybe, you know, I'm just too busy. I'm, I'm doing important things. I, I, I got to accomplish these things first. Or maybe it's too difficult. I'm afraid I'll fail. I'm just, I'm just not good with people. Or maybe it just it seemed like a bit too much effort and they thought, you know what? Man, I've been working hard. I deserve a break today. Or maybe it was just an attitude of heart that said, you know what? God has really let me down. So why in the world should I do anything for him or for anybody else? Maybe it's just an attitude of heart. You know, in our mixed-up world, I know it's also possible to feel like you could never be a part of God's plan to love on someone to help bring transformation in their life. You could feel unworthy. I want you to know that it's not really hard to love God and love people. And if you ever feel like you're unworthy to love, and unworthy to be used by God to bless someone, I'd like to remind you of some people that God worked through. People who thought they were no longer worthy. They thought they were somehow disqualified because of their mistakes 
or thought of excuses why God wouldn't want to work through them or be involved in their lives. Moses, remember him? What did he tell when, when God came to ask him to do something? He said, well, I don't talk so good. I stutter. And then I, he was also, he'd been in the desert for 40 years. And you know why he'd been there? Because he'd run away because he had murdered an Egyptian. He was a murderer. He thought he was totally disqualified for being a leader of God's people. But God said no. You know, and John Mark, he was a guy who was uh, working with Paul and Silas. And Paul kind of rejected him for some reason. And he took off. And uh, later, you find out that uh, John Mark came back around. And uh, Paul was so glad that he did because he was in prison. And John Mark was one of the faithful ones that came and ministered to Paul while he was being in prison. You know, there's other people. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon was too rich. Abraham was too old. Timothy had stomach problems. Peter was afraid. Naomi was a widow. Gideon Thomas doubted. Jeremiah was depressed. Elijah was burned out. Martha was a worrywart. Noah got drunk. Miriam was a gossip. Paul was a murderer. And Lazarus was dead. <laughs> now, what was your reason for thinking God doesn't want to use you? What was your excuse for not doing what you know the Lord wants you to do? Oh, yeah. The church doesn't have a ministry for me to help me do what I need to do. You know what? Our church wants to help you. We, we are going to provide ministries and help you take those steps, the next step in your spiritual journey. And one of those steps would be to, to serve others and to love others. But I want you to know we don't have to do that. We don't have to do that at all because it's stinking simple. Just love the people around you. Love God. Just ask this simple question. What can I do to bless the people around me? Or if you don't understand the word bless, just put serve or help. What can I do to help the people around me? And who are the people around you? At work, at school, in your neighborhood. Just think. Just think. Just take the next step. You know, I think all of us pretty much know what we're supposed to do already. You know, maybe it's forgiving someone, exchanging your worry for trust. Maybe it's baking cookies for your grumpy neighbor. Maybe it's simply just showing the love of Christ by giving a cup of cold water to somebody or visiting someone in prison. But the deal is, you just need to do it. Just do it. Put your belief and action together, and that equals faith. Make your faith grow. Let's wise up. Let's live up to what we've already attained. If you're putting the words of Jesus into practice, don't stop. Keep doing it. Let's learn to live wisely, skillfully, and build our lives on the rock because you know storms hit everybody's life. That's what we talked about last week. The guy who built his house on the sand and the guy who built his house on the rock, the storm hit both. The difference is the guy who built his house on the rock, his house stood. If you're just getting started in building a life on Christ, start with the right foundation, right foundation and trust your life into the hands of Jesus Christ. The scriptures say that you're building your life in vain unless the Lord is helping you to build your life. Remember that impression without expression leads to depression. But when you continue to take in all the good things that the Lord gives freely to you, and you are freely expressing that in your life and your actions, there's an exhilaration in life, not a depression.
And I hope that you'll learn to experience that exhilaration. And when you're putting Jesus' words into practice and building on the rock, there's a peace that you can have in the midst of storms, and you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid when the, when the storms come. I know some of you maybe have actually enjoy storms. I know uh, some of you maybe have lived in a house with a tin roof, and you hear the rain coming down. And you've just, you know, some people maybe find that annoying, but you've found it to be very peaceful just hearing it fall. And uh, I think in the same way, uh, when we have storms that hit life, hit us in life, we don't have to be afraid. In fact, we can just have this calm peace and just kind of know, hey, I'm on the rock. I'm putting into practice the Lord's commands, His instructions, His teachings. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. We'll weather the storm.